But I want to go to chapter 17 of 1 Samuel tonight, and we'll spend a little time in this well-known story and this account that we find in 1 Samuel chapter number 17. And I talked a little bit this morning about David and Perez. We'll talk a little bit about David and Goliath here in 1 Samuel chapter number 17. Now, I won't read all of this passage. Most of us are familiar with it, but I will read a little bit. In verse number 1, now in chapter 16, Samuel has gone down to the house of Jesse and anointed David to be king. And the Bible tells us that when he anointed him, he did it in the presence. The Bible said, let me see if I can find it here. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. So apparently all of his brethren were there. All of them knew that the anointing had taken place. I don't know if they knew exactly what it was for, but they knew God had something special for David. Then David goes up and he spends some time with Saul. And uh, now we come to chapter 17. There is a battle about to take place. I want to read to you about it. Verse 1 said, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah in, and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. There went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. He had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel, and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and ye the servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then ye shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together." When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistines, they were greatly dismayed. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. And David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons that went to the battle were alive, the firstborn, next unto him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed. Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. Now David comes down to the battle and the Bible will tell us as he comes down he will hear Goliath as he cries out this cry. He's been crying for 40 days. And the Bible tells us in verse 26, David spake to the men and stood by him saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should divide the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. 
And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another, and spake after the same manner, and the people answered him again according to the former manner. Now David's going to go and fight the giant. You know he's going to take a sling and a stone. The Bible says in verse number 42, when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou cometh to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Verse 49, David put his hand in his bag, took a thence a stone and slang it, smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. We'll stop right there. But I want to preach a little while on David and Goliath and I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to help us. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for loving us. I pray you'll help me now in the preaching of the Word of God. I'm greatly in need of thee tonight, and I pray for your help and your assistance. Lord, I know that without you, I can accomplish nothing. And so I pray that you will work in the hearts of them that hear. And I pray for somebody tonight that is facing a giant in their life, that they'll get victory over that giant, even right here tonight in this service, Lord. Victory is not does not have to be a long, drawn-out adventure. Uh, with surrender, a man can have victory. He can be defeated one moment and have victory the next. And so we pray for victory tonight amongst God's people, men and women and boys and girls. And Lord, we pray for that victory that your name will be glorified and that people may know that there's a God in heaven and a Savior who reigns. Help us now, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now I noticed this, the Bible tells us in the beginning of this passage that the Philistines are gathered together to battle and were gathered together at Shoko, if I'm pronouncing that right. And so I looked at that and I'm thinking about this. Here's what's going on. God had given this property to Israel. He had given it to them in the promised land. But there is an enemy that is set up on their property and he is not allowing them to enjoy what is rightfully theirs by the hand of God. I'm going to tell you that's what the devil loves to do. He loves to keep us from enjoying what God has done for us and enjoying the liberty and the victory that has been purchased for us on the cross of Calvary. So I like to call this sometimes this message, there is someone in my way. And that someone is this giant Goliath. Now there's a lot of typology in this passage that I always enjoy thinking about. Goliath's name means the exiled one. David's name means the beloved one. And so what you have is you have uh, a place called Ephes Damon. It means the border of blood. And so there's a problem here at the border of blood. There
there's a blood problem. That's the same problem all of us had. We had a blood problem. We couldn't get across the border to God because our blood was not right. But in the middle of that blood problem, there is a, a king that is coming. David's already been anointed once. He'll be anointed on three occasions before he finally sits down on the throne. And I, I would say to you, Jesus uh, was anointed and he he's anointed by his father, but then he was anointed by, he, he's been recognized as king David has by his family. He'll be recognized as king later on by one tribe and then later he'll be recognized by all of the nation of Israel. And my Lord Jesus has already been recognized as king in my heart. I know he's king, amen. And he's being recognized by the church, but one of these days every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we have David, and now we have David, and he is Jesse's son, and Jesse is an old man among men. Uh, Could I call him just for the sake of the service tonight, the Ancient of Days, he's the Ancient Man. So the Ancient Man, the Ancient of Days, sends his son, the Beloved One, down to the border of blood to check on his brethren. And he finds that they're in a mess there, and so that when he comes down, uh, here's what they do. They revile him. Uh, uh, They don't receive him. The Bible said about Jesus, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. So he came down, Eliab reviled him and rejected him, but David went down in the valley. They tell me down in the valley of Eli, in the bottom of that valley, there's a trench. David went down in that trench, and down in that trench, he slew, you know what he did? He bruised the head of the exiled one. He slew the exiled one, then he came up out of that trench and came back to Israel. That's exactly what happened in my salvation. Uh, The ancient of days sent his son into this world, and they reviled him, and they didn't want anything to do with him. They rejected him. But I'll tell you what he did. He went down into the valley of Eli at the border of blood, and he slew the exiled one, the devil. He bruised his head, and he came up out of the grave alive, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, and he ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. He said, Preacher, why do you tell me that? Because I want you to know the victory's already been won. The battle's been fought and the victory's already been won. We're fighting from victory. Now, I want you to look at this passage, and there are three things I want you to notice in this passage. First of all, I want to talk to you tonight a little bit about recognizing the giant. Recognizing the giant. Now, David has a giant against him. Israel has a giant against them. A giant is not an ordinary foe. You don't face giants every day. Somebody say, well, preacher, I've had a hard day. I have hard days too. Sometimes people say, well, I, I've been a little bit sick. I've been a little bit under the weather. I've had this. I've had that. That happened. My boss was hard on me. You know, those are hard days. They're difficult things, but those aren't necessarily giants. But sometimes in our Christian life, we'll face a giant. So preacher, how do you know that it's a giant? Well, I noticed some things about this giant. I noticed that giants possess freakish attributes. They are bigger. They are stronger. They are freakish in what they can do. Their ability is beyond normal. And sometime in our Christian life, we'll have a battle that is outside the normal thing of Christianity. It's outside the normal everyday living. You'll have a, you'll face a giant that just seems to be too much. He's too powerful. He's all the time there. They have freakish abilities. You say, preacher, what about this giant? Well, the Bible said he's about nine foot tall, six cubits in a span. The Bible said he had a helmet of brass 
upon his head. He was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. He had greaves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders. The staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. Now, don't you know when they came out and saw that giant, they said to themselves, this is no ordinary enemy. This is no ordinary battle. This ain't like the last guy we face. This ain't like the last crowd we face. This is something out of the ordinary. And sometime in our Christian life, we face things that are out of the ordinary. Giants, not only does he have freakish ability, but giants produce frightful alarm. They make us afraid. The Bible says down here in verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And later on, the Bible will tell us in verse 24, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. I faced some things in my Christian life that bothered me, but they didn't make me afraid. But I must admit to you, I faced some things in my Christian life that made me fearful. And made me afraid. Those giant things, those out of the ordinary things, those things that keep you awake at night, those things that make you wonder and question. And so here is the giant. He has freakish abilities. He produces frightful alarm. And he has frequent, he practices frequent attacks. Now watch what the Bible said, verse 16. And the Philistine drew near evening, morning and evening, and presented himself 40 days. Now I don't, I'm just thinking tonight that I'm preaching to somebody and you've been facing a giant and when you look at it, it is so big, it is so strong, it is so frightening and you seem to have to face it day. Just about the time you think you got by it, it sticks its head up again. Day after day after day after day in your Christian life. That's a giant, friend. And here's a giant. And the devil loves to throw giants at us, to stop us from serving God. So we've got to recognize the giants. I remember one time a preacher said to me, we were talking about a certain situation, and he looked at me and he said, he said, I'm going to tell you this, brother, you're dealing with something out of the ordinary. And sometime in our Christian life, we may have to deal with something out of the ordinary. He said, well, preacher, can you describe my giant? I don't know what your giant is, but you know what it is. You know what you're facing. So what do you do about a giant? Well, here's the second thing I want you to think about, responding to the giants. When the giant is in our life, when there's difficulty, when, when it's just so big and so often and so frightening, what do you do? Well, I want you to notice what David did. First of all, David did not fight on Goliath's terms. Don't let the devil talk you into fighting on his terms. Don't let, the enemy, don't let the enemy set the conditions for the battle. God's already set the conditions for the battle for how we fight. I want you to notice, first of all, he didn't fight on Goliath's terms. Why? Because Goliath's premise was wrong. His premise was wrong. Here was his premise. Watch what he said. Verse number 10. And the Philistines said, well, no, let's go back. Verse 8. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. Now watch this. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. You know what he's saying? He's saying we're going to have one battle and that one battle is going to decide everything. And if you lose that battle, that's it. It's over for you. Can I tell you something, friend? One battle does not determine the rest of your life. One battle does not determine your 
more service for God. I've lost a lot of battles, but I'm still in there fighting. I'm still in there kicking. I didn't lay down. The Bible said a righteous man, a just man falleth seven times and he riseth up again. I tell you what the Lord will help you do if you'll let him. He'll get you up off the mat when you've been thrown down. I remember when I was in high school wrestling. Used to be when I talk about wrestling, I'd give you a little display, but I'm too old. If I tried to do it now, we'd have to call 911, so I just talked to you about it. But that fella would go in and you'd have that that right off the bat. You'd have that takedown business. You know, you're standing up facing each other and the breath blows the whistle and your job is to take him down and put him on his back. And I'm going to tell you, there were many times I got took down instead of I took them down. There's a lot of times I got taken down and it looked like I was headed from the back. Looked like I was about to be pinned. Looked like I was about to be done. And the, co- the coach would be over on the side and said, get up, Brian. And he'd tell me what to do. He'd say, use this. And I'd use that move. Next thing you know, I was back on top. I could have laid down and said, well, it's over. But I want to tell you, I hear the coach. I hear the sweet Holy Ghost saying, get up, Brian. Uh, don't lay down there. Don't let him pin you. Don't let him win. One battle does not make the difference. I remember a preacher friend of mine, he got saved. He had a, had a terrible time. This is not necessarily a giant, but he had a terrible time with cursing because of the way he'd been raised. Every, every other word out of his parents' mouth was a curse word. And so he, you know, he picked that up. And so one day he, after he got saved, I don't know, a few days after, he was talking and, man, all of a sudden he just let out a string of wor- just a string of cuss words. And he felt so bad about it. So he went to his pastor and he said, Pastor, you know how I was raised. You know, you know the family I was raised in and the talk that was around our house. And he said, uh, the other day I was talking to somebody and he said, I, I didn't mean to, but man, I just slipped. And out came all those cuss words. And the preacher said, here's what you do. Next time that happens, here's what you do. Go get yourself alone with God. Tell him you're sorry for what you did. And say, Lord, make this the last time. And so he did that. Next time he did it, he went and got a home with the Lord. He said, Lord, I'm sorry. Sorry, I don't want to talk like that. It doesn't please you. He said, Lord, make this the last time. He And the preacher was telling the story. He said a, a few days later, it come out again. He went to a private place. He said, Lord, I'm sorry. I know this doesn't please you. Forgive me and make this the last time. And then he got to grin and he said, you know what? One of those times, guess what happened? It was the last time. And that's what happens when we serve the Lord. Let's get up and fight again. You say, preacher, I got knocked down. Get up and fight again. You say, preacher, I got whooped. Get up and go to whooping. Get Get up and fight. Don't quit. Keep on. Get up. Don't fight on the devil's terms. His premise was wrong. One battle does not decide your fate. And his promise was a lie. He said, I'll tell you what, if you defeat me, then we'll be your servants. Well, David defeated him, and guess what? They didn't keep their word. They went running off. Can I remind you something about the devil? The Bible said to a group of people, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in truth, for there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. The devil's a liar. He don't ever tell the truth. He always tells a lie, and he'll promise you anything, but he won't keep his promise. Don't fight on Goliath's terms when you're facing the giants. Here's the second thing. When you're facing the giant, don't listen to Eliab's taunts. Now watch what the Bible said. David comes down and David's speaking. And I read this passage to you. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab answered with was, anger was kindled against David. 
And he said, why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. Here was David's only response. What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And I like verse 30. And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. David said, I'm not going to. I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. I'm not. Now listen to me. When you're facing a giant, everybody and his brothers got advice for you. Everybody and his brother knows what you ought to do. But they're not facing your giant. But there is somebody who knows what you ought to do. And that's the Lord. And you can find out what he wants you to do in the Word of God, in the Scripture, in the Bible. You can get in the Bible and find it out. Don't listen. This is a public taunt. This is a personal taunt. It is a pretentious taunt. He says, I know, I know. No, you don't know. I don't know what's in your heart. You don't know what's in my heart. But there is somebody that knows what's in my heart. God said, I, the Lord, try the hearts. He knows what I need. The cause is for him. The cause is not for Eliab. The cause is for him. So I'm saying to you, don't don't listen to the taunts of others. Could I put it to you this way? Don't let your attitude destroy your victory. I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't have time to fight with you. I'll tell you the other truth. I'm not interested in fighting with you. I got enough on my hands with the enemy. I'm trying to, I want to have victory over. So I don't have time to fight with God's people, nor do I want to. I don't want to. I'm not interested in it. I'm, I'm, practically, I'm practically unoffendable. I say practically lest you, lest you test me. I'm practically unoffendable. I don't even mind sweeping the warehouse. I'm practically unoffendable. You know why? I got bigger fish to fry. I got bigger battles to face. I've got bigger burdens to carry. I got more trouble. I have enough trouble without adding you to it. Amen. That's not in the sermon, but I like to hear it right there. David didn't fight on Goliath's terms. David didn't listen to Eliab's taunt. And David did not trust his own talent. Now, here's what he said. He will, talking about the Lord, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistines. Are you like me? Do you like to figure out everything? Say, I know what to do about this. No, you don't. You don't know what to do about that. How can you know what to do about a giant? You've not, you didn't train that giant. That giant, this giant Goliath's been fighting. He's been a champion. This is what Saul said since he was a little boy. He'd been training him to fight. David wasn't there. David didn't see how he, they trained him. David didn't know how this giant would fight. David didn't know anything about him except that he was defying the armies of Israel. So David didn't sit back and say to Saul, I'll tell you what I can do. You know, if I move to the right at a certain time while he's moving to the left, or if I jab while he was doing an uppercut or if I do this. No, David didn't do anything that. Here's what he said. He said, you know, I know what the Lord can do. He's already proved it to me. I was out there. I was out there and a lion came and a bear and took the lamb out of the flock and uh, I went and slapped him. Here's the word David used. He said, I smote him. He said, was that a slap? Well, he said, I smote him and made him turn loose of that lamb and then when he rose up against me, I smote him and I slew him. One of these days, I'm going to preach on lessons in lion slapping. 
I don't guess that line had ever been slapped before. I don't guess that had ever happened before. I wonder if he stood up and took notice and said, man, ain't nobody ever slapped me before. But he dropped that lamb, and if he'd had any brains about him, he would have said, I ain't never been slapped before, and I ain't messing with this fella. But he rose up again, and David smote him, uh, smote him, and then he slew him. And David said, the same God, he's taught, we didn't read this in the text, you can read it later, the same God that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear would deliver me out of the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. Can I say something to you, friend, when you're facing a giant? The same God that delivered you from hell, the same God that saved your soul, the same God that's blessing you and keeping you, that same God can give you victory over the giant if you'll trust him. If you'll trust him. That'll have to involve waiting on him. That'll have to about involve leaning on him. That'll involve looking to him. David did not trust his own talent. He trusted the Lord. You're going to have to trust the Lord in the battle. So we have this. You recognize the giant. You respond to the giant. And then finally rid yourself of the giant. How are you going to do that? Well, let me give you a couple of thoughts and I'll be done. First of all, you're going to have to approach your giant in the will of God. I want to, let me say a word about where this giant came from. Goliath of Gath. Do you know what he is? He is a leftover. Because the Bible tells us that when Joshua went into the promised land, they were told to destroy all the Anakims. Those are the giants. And the Bible said that he destroyed all of the enemy, save in three places, Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. I don't know why he stopped short of those three places. Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. Where did Goliath come from? Came from Gath. I got to be careful. I preach a whole other sermon. But think about this. Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. Gaza is where one of the people of God was overcome by a superior enemy. That's where Samson got his hair cut and the Philistines took him. At Gath, one of the enemy is holding back a superior force of God's people. And then about a thousand years after Joshua did not destroy all of the enemy, there was a place called Ashdod. And Nehemiah came back, and here's what the Bible said. It said that the Jewish children, they spake half in the language of Ashdod and half of the Jewish language. And what he was saying was you couldn't tell which side anybody was on because that's what sin does. It gets worse and worse. But David would not have had to fight Goliath if Joshua had finished the job. He is a leftover. And sometimes the giants in your life are leftover giants. Every parent in here, every daddy and every mama ought to make it their job and their purpose in, as a mom and a daddy not to leave any giants for their babies to face. Not to leave anything left undone and left out so that babies will have to face it some day. Every one of us ought to do that. He is left over. He, and, and so David now, 
David's coming. He's going to fight him. I noticed something about David. I was reading it again this afternoon. David was, when they went down to anoint, to anoint a king, when Samuel went down to anoint the king, I have no idea what time it is. I'll, I'll say like my, my old preacher, Dr. Maurer, used to say, I'll get you out in good time. He never did tell us what good time was. But David, when they, he wasn't there, and they're anointing sons, and so God said, that's not him, 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 that's not him. And so now Samuel looks around and says, well, that's all of them. Is that all your boys? Jesse said, I got one more. I said, where is he? He is keeping the sheep. Samuel says, send for him. Will not sit down till he comes. David comes. He anoints him to be king in the midst of his brethren. So David has just been anointed to be king. A little bit later in chapter 16, here's what the Bible said. Saul has an evil spirit. It's, it's bothering him, and so he needs help. And so they say to him, we need to find you somebody that's cunning on the instrument. They can come and play, and it'll help you. And he said, you find me somebody like that. And the fellow said, I've seen a young man. And he said, he's cunning. And uh, he said several things about him. He's a valiant man. And he's talking about David. And he said, he's the son of Jesse. And so uh, Saul said, go fetch him. So Saul sent to Jesse. And here's what he said to him. He said, send me David who is with the sheep. Amen. Now, wait a minute. He's the king. But guess where he's at? He's right where he always was. The next day after his anointed king and Jesse said, I need you out with the sheep, David didn't say, hold it, Dad. Hold it. Hold it now. I'm king now. I'm king now. If you read back in the book of Psalms, it doesn't just say he's with the sheep. It said he's following the ewe lamb, the ewes and the lambs. What it's saying was he's following those ewes around, making sure those lambs were born and didn't have any trouble. Does that sound like king work to you? But you know what David believes in? He believes in being in the will of God. Whether it's in the palace or whether it's in the sheepfold. Whether he's being followed around by servants or he's following around like a servant. And so even after he's king, he's a servant. He's still out there in the sheepfold. You never will win over the giants until you get in the will of God. Until you say, all right, Lord, wherever you put me is good enough for me. Whatever you want, you won't win. You cannot defeat the giant out of the will of God. And you know what? When we started our account here in 1 Samuel, what did we read? We read that David was keeping the sheep. And the only reason he left the sheep was because his father said, I want you to go down and check on your brethren. So guess what he did? He went down and checked on his brethren. Look up here. You say, preacher, I got a giant. Let me ask you a question. Are you in the will of God? Are you surrendered? Are you where God wants you to be? Have you dealt with sin in your life? You know why the giant has a foothold? You know why you can't seem to shake him? Because you're out of the will of God. You ha- your life isn't right with God. There's sin in your life. I don't know what it is, whether it's lust or whether it's anger or bitterness or whether it's greed or whether it's deception. I don't know. Unfaithfulness. I don't know. But there's some sin in your life and you're out of the will of God. You cannot rid yourself of the giant unless you get right with God. You say, preacher, where do I start getting rid of this giant in my life? Start on your knees at an altar getting right with God. Tell God the truth. Tell Him He's right. Tell Him He's right and you're wrong. Amen. What's that? That's called repentance. Lord, you're right and I'm wrong. Tell Him the truth tonight. Tell Him the truth. Approach Him in the will of God.
And then secondly, account him as an enemy of God. You know, with it, you know what David said? He said, this man's defied the God of Israel. David said, I'm going to tell you what's important here. Importance is, uh, what's important here is not that we're comfortable. What's important in here is the name of Jehovah. Don't, don't say, well, i got to get rid of the giant so life will be easier. No, say, I want the giant out of my life because I want to be able to glorify God. I want to lift up the name of God. I don't want to be a reproach to the name of God. Now, it'll be better for you if the giant's out. But the purpose of getting rid of the giant is that God would get glory out of our lives and then attack him in the power of God. Who would fight a giant with a stone? Who in the world would do that? Somebody who knew the power of God. David said to him in our passage, we read it, he said, uh, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied this day. Will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. And here's why, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. You want to know why I want to have victory in my life. I want the world to know there's a God. I want them to know there's a Savior. I want them to know that a man who knows Christ is not what he used to be. He's a new creature. I want to know about the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want the giant to steal that away when people are looking. He attacked him in the power of God. What do you say? You say, preacher, what happened? God gave him victory. Now here's what I want to say to you before I go. If you don't have victory tonight, you can. You can have victory. You can have victory over that giant that's been plaguing you and plaguing you and plaguing you and plaguing you. Say, preacher, how can I do it? Get in the will of God. Get right with God tonight. And God will help you. Tell him the truth tonight. Come and get right with God. Be in the will of God. You say, well, I, preacher, I'm, I, there's this and there's that and the other. I know here's what we do. We say, well, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And God said, that ain't the problem. It's not this and that and this that you're doing. It's that there, right there. And you know what? There's a giant in your life tonight. I think probably you know where it is that you're not right with God. And what you ought to do is come to an altar and say, Lord, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to straighten this out but I want to trust you tonight. And I confess my sin, and I turn from it, and I want you to help me. And you know what you'll find. The Bible says, let us therefore come boldly on the throne of grace to, find, to, obtain, to, find, to obtain grace, to find grace and obtain mercy. So it goes something like that. I'm losing my mind up here. You can have it in the time of need. You can have it right now if you'll get right with God. I want you to bow your heads a moment.